Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. We're going to look at church. Hmm. Um, little mini series. I thought we would uh, we would do. I don't know how, when I say mini series. I never know how long these things are going to be, so it could be a while. But uh, we're going to look at the church, and we're going to look at um, the prototype church. You know what a prototype is, don't you? It's it's the first thing you design, and then when you've done one, it's like oh, I've done that one and now we're going to repeat it and make more of them. So you make one first. You design one first and then when you look at how that works, you go, oh, that one works. And you keep on working on that one until you get one that works and then you don't have to make other things because you've got one that works. You might might tweak it a bit and you might change the colour of it and all that kind of stuff, but ultimately the prototype means the first one. So... There are all kinds of churches in the world right now and with different worship styles and different ways of leadership and different you know, theologies about various things. But if we want to know how the church was meant, is meant to be and the effect that it's meant to have in the world, we need to look forward with faith. We need to look around us with a sense of reality about where we're actually at, how things really are. And we need to look back to how it first got started. And we don't have to guess about that because we can look in the Bible and we can find the prototype church. And uh, we're going to study something. We're going to look at the history, if you like, of the first few hundred years of the church are available for us to be able to look at. And from that, we can learn some things about the church because as the book of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. It isn't like we've got to totally make something new up again. And I love... To check out the history, I loved it when Jackie was talking there about the history behind that song that we sang about the Welsh revival, and uh, you know to look back at the history of the church. But we can so much is, is available to us to look at the history of what really got started in the in the uh, the first few centuries of early Christianity, because in around 33 AD, Jesus ascended to heaven. And he leaves a group of people, of believers, 120 of them, in the upper room around there. And, and it, so it's not a big crowd. But within just over 300 years, Christianity dominates the whole of the Roman Empire. Within a few hundred years, from 120 people. Caesar himself, in 350, declares himself to be a Christian. And some people think that's like, because you can't, you can't beat them, I'll join them, is basically. And some people are like, and they're not really sure whether Constantine actually ever was a Christian or whether it was just something that he did as a political move because he could see this thing's growing so much and taking over. So what he did is, if, if, actually, if you can't beat it, tame it. Um, institutionalise it to calm it down, to stop the fire from spreading. And so many would say that something what was called Christendom started with Constantine, where because he brings in all kinds of extra things that were never there originally from how he used to worship, well, how they used to worship in Rome with all the, the pantheon of the gods, all the different gods that they had, the kind of let's add Jesus in 
to all those gods too. And then let's add some things in like um, this particular buildings, he would call basilicas, they were, they were like temples where you had to worship and there would be particular priests who wore particular robes and on certain days would offer particular sacrifices and, um, and, and rather than what we'll see was what the Holy Spirit got started that was unstoppable at the beginning. This empowered movement, a new kind of thing happening on the earth where ordinary people suddenly became a new kind of people on the earth and everybody gets to play. So those first few hundred years were the fastest growth of Christianity's, you know, in, in the whole of Christian history, those are the fastest. Nobody, who knows what would have happened if it had been left unchecked and how quickly the Great Commission would have been fulfilled. And remember two things. Number one, they had no buildings. No buildings at all. For the first 300 years, Christians met in homes or outdoors. We hear about them meeting by riverbanks and organising, you know, uh, meetings together outside in the streets. Or, or they would sometimes they might hire a public building, like uh, we can read about Paul doing that in Ephesus. Um, training people though that was like a training centre that he starts to send out people to go and plant churches. All the seven churches in Revelation that are mentioned were all sent out as church plants from Ephesus and the earliest purpose built Christian church building was discovered in 1998 it's Aquaba in Jordan it was only built in 303 we've got a picture of it and it's small you could get about 60 people max in there so they had no buildings and the second thing is, for the whole of the first few hundred years, Christianity was, I was going to say, it was illegal to be a Christian until Caesar legalised it and adopted it. And they were persecuted from the outset. From the first time Peter and John get pulled in and called to account for preaching in the name of Jesus and so look we don't mind what you do but just don't say the name of Jesus and they're like well whether we should obey him or you I'll leave it up to you <laughs> but we've already made our decision on that and the persecution has just increased. Nero came into power in AD 54. In AD 64, he's, he's blamed the Christians for starting these fires that burned all across Rome. Many believe he started them, but he blamed the Christians and the persecution got worse. And there were eight further emperors after him and they got worse and worse and worse with every emperor up until you get to a guy called Diocletian who in 284, he ruled it was worship the Roman gods and sacrifice the incense or die, be martyred. That was the choice. And under his reign, six million Christians were martyred. That's 10% of the population of the known world at the time. And you hear that and, it, and you think, but how at the same time could the church be growing? Don't we? You've got to think that. You've got to think, well, you've got all of that opposition. You've got all of those people being killed and martyred. How can it 
keep on growing. Well, here's how. There's a guy called Eusebius, and he was right, he became a bishop many years later, but he was talking about how he became a Christian and what it was that, that he saw that kind of convinced him. And he said this, he wrote about what he saw in Alexandria. He said, I myself saw some of these mass executions by decapitation or fire, a slaughter that dulled the murderous axe until it wore out and broke in pieces, while the executioners grew so tired that they had to work in shifts. But I also observed a marvellous eagerness and a divine power in those who placed their faith in Christ. As soon as the first was sentenced, others would jump up on the tribunal in front of the judge and confess that they themselves were Christians. Heedless of torture in all of its terrifying forms, but boldly proclaiming their devotion to the God of the universe, they received the final sentence of death with joy and laughter and gladness, singing hymns of thanksgiving and celebration to God until their final breath. That's why it grew. When we're talking about Christianity here, we're kind of talking about something else than what sort of passes for it very often these days. The nearest I can think, I was talking to a guy recently who runs a ministry uh, that's supporting believers in Iran. And he was telling me there that um, he'd just been trying to comfort one of the young preachers from their church back in Iran who, because he'd been found guilty of preaching the gospel, this young guy in his early 20s had had his tongue cut out. And they've banned the Bible and they've banned them meeting together. And the more they ban it, the more it grows. And do you know what the fastest growing evangelical church in the world right now is? Where it is? It's in Iran. Because we think persecution is the worst thing that can happen. But not according to God. See, what... We, we hear the word witness. Oh, when you, you know, if you're going to be a good Christian, you must be a witness. You must witness for Jesus. And we kind of think it means just talking about him. But actually, the word witness, Greek word, same word is martyr in the Greek. So it's a bit like you can't really be a witness unless you're prepared to be a martyr. And what stood out, the outstanding difference, is not what you go through, it's how you go through it that people Notice, because the world knows that suffering happens, doesn't it? The world knows that bad things happen. The world knows that bad things happen to good people, don't they? They know that. Everybody knows that. But when bad things happen to God's people and they say, God's still good, that's a wow that's what is different here that is a witness 
So, you've got no buildings, and there's this unbelievably intense persecution if you join the church. And if you joined, it was up in secret, it was underground. And, you know, we hate, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying, Lord, please send persecution, because we hate the idea and we demand our rights. But historically, persecution has always been the least popular, best growth mechanism and strategy for the church. And you're never going to hear it recommended at conferences of church growth. But the followers of Jesus, you see, those early followers, because they'd known the Lord of life, they'd lost their fear of death. And they weren't just living with their eyes on this kingdom and wanting a bit of God added in to make it better. Which is what, if we're honest, we can sometimes make Christianity. I want God to give me the best of this world and help me to get through all the bad times or keep them all away. Amen. And it's all right, as long as you know that that's not real Christianity. Because he never promised comfort. He never promised everything would be all right. It's hard to argue your life's tough with a man who died on a cross. And if God really is in charge and if he can really make all things work together for good then what he can do is he can even take the bad stuff and do some good stuff out of it see I used to think I was talking to Zoe about this earlier today I used to think of life as being it's about ups and downs well we have ups and we have downs and sometimes we're in ups and sometimes I don't actually believe that anymore I think all the time we have good and bad it's more like twin tracks of life that we go along and, and there's every single day, there's something good going on. And if you think about it, there's also something that's really, really not good. Or sometimes it can be something really, really awful. But at the same time, if I think about it, there's also something good. That's real life. It isn't just, oh, well, today will be good and tomorrow will be better and cheer up. It's like this is the way life has to be lived. This is the tracks of life that we run on and if I wait for it always to be good I'm not going to choose joy very often choosing joy is I recognise both tracks are coming this is how my life is no matter how bad things are in my life there's always something that I can thank God for they get both at the same time. So you have this intense persecution that's taking place. Unbelievable, we can't even imagine it. But it's estimated that during that time, Christianity grew at 40% per decade during that time. So what was it that made the early church grow so fast? Well, the book of Acts tells us, and I'm going to spend the next few weeks focusing on the first chapters, but if I had time to take you through the whole of the book of Acts, you'd see twin tracks all the way through. And the church grows and spreads in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, all over the known world at the time. In the church, you see, I love the church at Antioch. I'd love to do a study on that sometime. But Acts 2 is the prototype. And it's so important for us as we assess the kind of church we are and what God wants us to be and how God wants us to be and to grow here. And we, we need to examine this because this for me is a biblical model for a healthy church. Or a church plant, because really it was a church plant because it got started from scratch, didn't it, on the day of Pentecost. If you want a biblically 
functioning model for a healthy church, you need to look at the prototype first church that started at Pentecost. Because there are various characteristics that I see in Acts. I'm just going to look at chapter two a little bit tonight of a healthy church. I'm going to start looking at them. I'm going to only have time for one of them tonight and then we're going to look at more in the next few weeks. Because as I say, there's all kinds of churches, different styles, different ways of doing it. But ultimately, if you want a biblically functioning, healthy, alive, growing, reproducing church full of disciples who will actually be real ones and change the world, then you need to look at the book of Acts, chapter 2. Number one characteristic of this kind of church, a healthy church like this has supernatural power. This is what makes the difference between the church and every other organisation or group on the planet or it's not really church. We have to have supernatural power. We have to have the Holy Spirit at work in the church. I can't tell you how many over the years I've realised while I've been there or sometimes after it I go to I read books but I go to church conferences and, and leadership books and read stuff about strategies of evangelism and techniques of church leadership and all these missional things and all that kind of stuff and afterwards I'm like thinking you know what nobody really mentioned the Holy Spirit here. We've got all these plans and all these strategies but what about the Holy Spirit? Did we ever, did we forget the Holy Spirit? I'm like, actually the Holy Spirit is the difference between us and the charity. The Holy Spirit is the difference between us and a good neighbours group or a political gathering or a social club or, you know, whether it's faith based or not and whether it says Christian over the door or not, the question is, has you got the Holy Spirit there? The Holy Spirit is the difference maker. And he's a person. We need to understand this. He's not a power. It's not just the power of the Holy Spirit like some power like electricity. It's the Holy Spirit wants to personally empower the church. That's you and it's me, one at a time. To be everything God called us to be. To do everything God calls us to do. We can't do it without him. There's supernatural presence, supernatural power in God's spirit. And we see this as we look at the background of the church in this plant in Acts chapter 1. It says, sorry, Acts chapter 2, it says, oh no, Acts chapter 1. It says, for 40 days after his crucifixion, Jesus met with his followers many times and proved in many ways that he was truly alive. So Jesus appeared and showed them that it was really him and he's really alive. Wow. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. One time while eating a meal with them, I love the little detail in there. It's like, you know, this really happened because Luke is remembering, oh, we're all having a meal. And Jesus said this. Jesus told them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the spirit he has promised. He's like, just don't you dare do anything. Don't go and start your program. Don't go and plant your church. Don't teach about me. Don't put a sign outside a building. Don't put a cross on the roof until I send my Holy Spirit to give you the power. Because if you try to do my work in your power, you will fail. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do a few things. No. Zilch in the Greek. It's not really in the Greek. Nothing. Now, of course, we can be very busy doing nothing. Working the whole day through. (laughs) 
But nothing will last. Nothing that lasts forever will last. Nothing that makes an eternal difference. You need supernatural power to make a supernatural difference. Otherwise, you're just making a natural difference. So how do we get that? Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus told us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We're like, why is it so hard? Why is this ministry stuff so hard? Why isn't this working? Why isn't that working? Whose power are you doing it in? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You might be my martyrs, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You can't do that without me. You, can't, you might be able to witness, you won't be able to martyr. You won't be able to go through the things that you might have to go through unless you've got the power to get you through what you need to get through. Jesus is telling them the Holy Spirit will give them the power that they needed to do what he did, to do what he told them to do. And meanwhile, he said, wait. 10 days. He's like, can you wait 10 days? And then they wait 10 days and they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed. And I'm so glad that we're in the year of prayer because the deeper we go into this year, the further we go into this year, to me, I feel like I'm in a different place. I don't know about you, but if you're engaging with this, you should be in a different place by now. If not, I need to ask you, we're in July. Are you getting with it yet? Because this is a year of prayer. It's not like a half year of prayer or it wasn't just a day in January of prayer. This is a year of prayer and I'm getting involved. And as a result of that, here's what I've found. There's a direct connection between prayer and power. There really is. No prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. I'll go the other way. Much power, much prayer. Little power, little prayer, no power, no prayer. Whose fault is that? There's a connection. Jesus says, wait and pray. Ever stood by the kettle and stood there and been like, oh, when's this kettle going to boil? Come on. And then you look and what's the problem? You're not flicked it on? Oh, you're not even plugged it in? Stupid kettle. No. It's not the kettle's fault. <laughs> you know? The kettle's like... <laughs> trying to do God's work, trying to start a church, trying to have a ministry, trying to do anything without the Holy Spirit, it's like an unplugged kettle. It's not going to work. And it doesn't matter how nice it looks. It doesn't matter whether he's got a full 10-year warranty stuck in a drawer somewhere. It ain't working because it's not plugged in. It's not got the power. If it's not plugged into the power, it isn't going to work. And again, it doesn't matter how nice our church looks like. It doesn't matter how well all the programs are planned. If it isn't plugged into the power, it isn't going to work. I had a dream when we were on holiday last week. A bit of a weird dream. God was there. I found out later it was God. I didn't think it was God at the time. To me, it was like Father Christmas. And he looked a bit like Father Christmas. had a nice white beard and everything. And I knew he was called Chris Kringle. I don't know why, but I knew that. And, and he was there and he was just saying to me, ask me, ask me, why don't you ask me for something? And I'm like, well, I don't know if I can ask you. He's saying, go on, ask me, what do you want, what do you need? Ask me. 
And I'm a bit like, oh, I don't know if I can ask you. Come on, ask me. What do you need? Do you need some money? I can give you some money. You need a place? I can give you some place. You need more leaders? I can give you leaders. You need me to bless your family? Ask me. Ask me. I want you to ask me. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can ask you. And then I was like, and he's going, go on, just ask me. Ask me. And I woke up and I was thinking, first of all, wow, I don't ask enough. I just sort stuff out myself. And number two, I was thinking, I woke Zoe up, I was like, we've got to ask Chris Kringle for stuff. <laughs> it's like, Chris Kringle's saying we've got to ask. I've got to tell the staff team, we need to ask Chris Kringle. But then I realised, actually, no, it's probably not Chris Kringle. <laughs> but we've got to ask God. And he likes it. He's like, don't worry about it. And don't worry about it, pray about it. In fact, if we... If we prayed as much as we'd worried, we'd have a lot less to worry about, wouldn't we? So we, we, he says, like, send, ask for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come. We do the Alpha course here. We've just done three. I'm amazed at that. I think, what a brilliant church. I'm the leader of the church. I didn't know we were doing three Alpha courses. But people are doing them. Great people in this church are doing brilliant things for God all the time. And, and the great thing is, I don't know about them. God knows about all of them. People are becoming Christians through that. And one of the things on this Alpha course, you have a thing called the Holy Spirit Day. And I remember years ago, the guy who wrote the course, Nicky Gumbel, he said that, he said, when you do the Holy Spirit Day and you pray, Holy Spirit, come. He said, what you have to remember this is, he always comes. Now, when you're doing it, I've led lots of those courses. I can't remember how many courses I've run. I'll tell you what you always think. You always have a little bit of thing, like, when you're doing the Holy Spirit Day, you're like, I hope he comes. <laughs> Just being honest, you're like, hope, hope the Holy Spirit comes. It's going to be a bit embarrassing if we do the Holy Spirit day and the Holy Spirit doesn't come. But here's what I've found. He always comes. And it, it doesn't need anybody particularly special to do anything and have the right words and say it all right. It's like, it's like when he came 2,000 years ago and he's been coming ever since and he wants to come. He just wants us to ask and he always comes. And people are like, wow. And we shouldn't be wow, really, but it is a bit wow. I remember years ago, there's a guy who, this was in our first church in Devon. This guy, he was really quite clever and he had all kinds of questions about God and he was, what about this and what about that? And then the, uh, and his wife was a Christian, but he, he didn't kind of get it and wouldn't go for it. And we were in this Holy Spirit prayer time and I just went over to him and I said, I'm just going to pray for you. Is that all right? And he went, yeah. And everybody, I said, we're just doing this thing. Everybody's standing there like this. And I just started to, and I said, Holy Spirit. I said that and he went, whoa. Whoa. Okay. All right, what do I need to do? I said, what? He said, well, yeah, I want to, be, I want to become a Christian. And this guy's not been a Christian for years and didn't want to be a Christian. I said, why? He says, because it's real, isn't it? It just happened, didn't it? That was it. <laughs> he just did it. He just did it, didn't it? It's real, isn't it? All right, yeah, I'll do it. Became a Christian. He's a Christian all these years on since. Why? Because he didn't just need the words. He didn't just need the answers. He didn't just need his questions. He needed power. He needed the Holy Spirit. He needed to know something real is here. Somebody real is here that I can connect with. He always comes. That's the good news. Even in a minute when we pray. He always comes. How did he come in Acts chapter 2? We can see something really interesting. God's spirit when he comes is accompanied by three powerful signs. Watch for them as I read through this next verse. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a noise like, notice a noise, like a 
strong blowing wind. It doesn't say there was a wind blowing. It says there was a noise that sounded like wind blowing. Coming from heaven. So this isn't just like, oh, it's windy out. It's like windy in the room. And it's coming from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So there's the sound. There's no wind. It's not everything's blowing around all over the place. But there's a sound of wind. So there's a sound. Say sound. People are hearing it. Then they saw, now notice there's something they're seeing. They saw something like flames of fire. It wasn't flames of fire. It was something like flames of fire that was separated and stood over each person. Say each person. Each person. Not just the people at the front who were doing some ministry. Not just the guy on the guitar or the person with the tambourine. Each person there. They were all, say all. All filled with the Spirit. And they began to speak in different languages or different tongues by the power of the Spirit. So there's a sound that they're hearing, something different. There's a sight that they're seeing, something different. And then they're talking, something different. They began to speak in different languages by the power the Holy Spirit was giving them. So did you notice the three things? There's a noise, there's a sound like a hurricane inside the building. How amazing is that? Then there's a sight. These flames that look like fire. It doesn't say it was fire, but every scene, they're looking at it like, excuse me, your head's on fire. It's like, they're all looking at each other like this. Heaven's lighting these people up. And then there's speech. Everybody's speaking. Everybody's talking new, different, foreign tongues, languages. Why? You know, God won't ask that question because God never does anything without a reason for it. These are signs, these miracles, to show something about what God wants to do, what he still wants to do in his church. I think he's saying something to us here from the first church about how he always wants the church to be. Now he wants Ivy to be. And if you visit him from another church, how he wants your church to be. These three things need to be in every church that's really a church of Jesus Christ forever. And if not, you've got to ask, what's missing? Something's missing. God is saying, I want my church to be powerful. I want my church to be radical and I want my church to be multicultural. That's the three signs. God says, I want my church to be powerful. So people hear this amazing sound, this mighty rushing wind. It's like something blows them away. There's a sound that's got to rise up in the church. When he sends the Holy Spirit, he says, I want my church to be radical. I want the fire to fall when you meet together. On every single person individually. I want the fire on them. I don't want them just to be, oh, that was a nice one. What did you think? Do you want to get coffee? I want it to be fire. Have you ever been in a meeting like that? I've been in some meetings like that. I want to, I want to be in more. I want our meetings to be more like that. I want that to be the norm for the church, not the exception. Because that's how it got started. And number three said, I want my church to be multicultural, multi-ethnic, multinational this supernatural unity that can only come because all these people who speak different languages have different backgrounds, have different interests, they all get to be one for the one whose whose spirit has come. And now as we read on, we know that these are actually real languages that they're speaking. In the Bible, if you look into it, they're speaking in tongues. In, In 1 Corinthians, it talks about speaking in tongues as being like a prayer language that builds me up. And that's, that's a great thing, but that isn't this, this day, at this time, because these are real languages, because people can hear them, and they're like, oh, hang on, they're talking my language. And he says, it tells us the reason in Acts 2. 
He says, people had come from all over the world and everybody heard in their own language. Because this was a special day, this Pentecost. They, didn't, they came for their own festival, if you like. And right in the middle of that, God turned up and did something amazing. So the Holy Spirit is coming and he's enabling these people to hear about God in a way that they can understand. It's for mission. Why? Because there were religious Jews staying in Jerusalem who'd come from every country in the world and when they heard the noise, the rushing wind sound, this is why I like church to be noisy. This is why I encourage sound engineers to push the volume up. A large crowd gathered and they were all excited. Do you think church would be exciting? I think church would be really excited. They were all excited because all of them heard the believers talking in their own languages in amazement and wonder. Isn't that great? All these people are like, what's that? The phone's ringing. (laughs) These people who are talking are Galileans, but we can hear in our own languages what they're telling us about God. See, this is miraculous. This is multicultural, multinational communication where everybody's welcome and everybody's included and they get to hear about God in a way that they can get it. That's what the church should be like. Not just that we have our own little group and we all have our own language and we can all understand what we're saying. It's supposed to be accessible for everybody to be able to come in too. The good news of Jesus has to be accessible to everybody. That or there's something wrong with the church. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. I want the church to be accessible for everybody. So when the Holy Spirit comes, there's powerful noise, there's radical fire, there's a missional unity. Nobody can engineer, only God can do it. And God is saying through that, church, I want to make something completely new in the world, something that nobody's ever seen up until now. But this is the prototype church and every other church that's going to bear my name from now on has to look like this. And to the extent that it isn't, something's wrong. So to us today, we have to check this. I have to check this as the leader of this church. God is saying to us, I want us to be, I want you to be, Ivy Church, like this. Because when you're like this, the world will stop and take notice. When the spirit comes, everything changes. Look at verse 33, it says, everyone was filled with awe. That's not just an American word. It's in the Bible. Awe. Awesome. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. See, there's all kinds of books and blogs and comment and social studies that will tell us the problem with the church and how to make it better. But really the problem is this. Very often, we've lost the power. That's the problem with the church. The power's out. You know, the lights could still be on, but the power's out. The power's missing too often in, in a lot of churches, sometimes in a lot of our meetings. There's no shortage at all, but where's the power? The presence and power of God can do more to reach out and convert more people in a week than we could do, I could do, in a year's worth of clever blogs arguing about God or whatever. It's, it's when people feel the presence of God and hear him speaking in a way that they can understand where there's something that is a noise that shakes something up in them when disciples get set on fire every single one of them that's when you get to see a biblically functioning New Testament church 
And the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter only of talk, but a matter of power. Power. How do we get God's power in the church? It's simple. We know the answer. I'm going to go back around to it. The same thing Jesus told them, he tells us. You pray and you wait. You pray and you wait. And you pray and you wait. And you go. And when you go, you see the power in the church. That's the starting point. So I'm going to stop there just for this next week. But right now, let's just agree if we can. And that old word, repent, where we need to, of trying to do God's work without God's power. I'm going to invite you to stand, if you're able to. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and just kind of take over for a little while and fill us. Ask for the noise, for the flames on every head here, for the letting go of control that you need to let God come and take control of your life, of your tongue, of your mind, of your spirit. Because I know that we do some good things here at Ivy, humanly speaking, but if we don't have the Holy Spirit's power in, in us and in our church, it doesn't really matter. So if the band's going to come up and we're, we're going to um, just invite your Holy Spirit. And as I was praying about this earlier, I felt like God was saying to some, I want to tell people, I want people to tell people about me. I want people of all kinds of different tribes and tongues to worship. Because, you know, the way the book ends, the Bible ends, is there's people there from every tribe and nation and tongue around the throne. And sometimes churches can add up how many language groups they have in the church and that's really interesting. But what if God called you to himself so that you could go for him and reach some people that nobody else can reach because you speak their language. I think this is for a few people tonight and you need to just respond by, by I don't know, talking to him about it. But you speak the language that other people speak and I can't do it, but you do and God wants you to translate him for them. And when we think about languages, we might think about whatever language it is that they speak in Swaziland, or you might think of Dutch or Mandarin. Or... But some of you, there's other languages that God has taught you, that you know. And if you offer yourself to him, he'll use you to translate him for some people who at the moment are far away from him. Like some of you speak toddler really really well it's like you you're great with small children you speak their language you know about the different stages that there are in children's lives and you can you can help them know the love of God you can help them come to know the, the father and that's so needed that's a people group isn't it need the love of God translating for them or there's business people here perhaps and you know the jargon of that world or there's sales people I get a hearing often from police officers or people in the forces because I, I know how to speak their language sometimes it's, sometimes it's bad language but uh, even so it's, it's being able to get on that wavelength just offering yourself if this is you if God starts to speak to you about it say take this tongue Lord let me offer it to you I'm willing even if it means 
I kind of get martyred for it, even if it's scary for me to speak to the mums at the school gates or, you know, to speak. For some people, it would be, in a way, it would be easier for you to go to some other country miles away and, I'm not saying it is easy, but for you to go to some country miles away and speak to them who are never going to see you again effectively than it is for you to, to talk to the other guys in the office. But accountants speak accounting. And you can speak Jesus to them. Or, I don't know, music. Maybe it's rap. Or that's the language. It's the lingo. Or it's sport. You have the language of sports. Different sports even have different languages. And God wants to use you to speak to people in that language. Or science or artists. They all have their own languages, don't they? And when the Holy Spirit comes, just invite the Holy Spirit to come again. Come Holy Spirit now. Put a flame on our heads. Put a fire in our hearts. Let the wind blow. Let there be a sound. It's musical languages. Music can be so expressive, but it's not just for in the church, it's for out there. There's a sound God wants to bring that will make people out there listen. So many languages, because there's so many different kinds of people. Some people can talk the language of mums or or retired people. There's no dead language. There's no useless language. Just offering yourself to him. Lord, take me, direct me to translate who you are. Thank you, Jesus. I've got a word before, I think it was for Jackie, actually, that uh, you've, um, that you've been waiting and waiting for something, for God to do something, and it's like, I really feel like God's saying to you, it's, it's now. It's like you've been thinking, when's it going to be? When's it going to be? And you've been patient it's good to be patient but God's got a, a now thing for you and maybe that word before about the, the ploughman overtaking the reaper and it's like the hills are going to just run with new wine for you so it's like you don't have to keep waiting any longer because there's going to be some things that is going to be like you'll be like oh wow it's happening now those things that I've been waiting for and been praying for you're coming into a, a real season of now Thank you, Lord, you're here now. 
let us become more aware of your presence as we sing it's not about us having to make something happen Lord you're here Tune into what heaven's saying. You might not hear it with the ears, you hear it in your heart. Jenny, one, the Lord wants to say, I believe that um, you, you're, you're somebody that he wants to use to bridge gaps between people, especially between the old and the young, between the, the, um, the people who are far away and the people that are close. And you want a bit, you're a good translator for people. You, you can take what he's saying to people and they don't get it and you, you're a really good translator. You can use, you know what to say and the way to say things that, that if people don't get it in other ways, that when you speak, they get it. And it's good and he sees that and he wants to, to make that more and more. And it's actually a generations thing as well. It'll be a, especially younger, younger people. Who've, some of those young people that you're praying for that you really feel like, oh, I'm just waiting for them to get it. And it's like, they're going to get it. So I could, you, he's going to help you to be able to explain in, in the, it, concepts. And it's like you'll be talking to somebody and it's only as you're speaking it out and explaining it to them that you'll even understand it yourself. It's like, it's like oh, I didn't even get that myself. And then afterwards you'll be like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And, and it's like so clear, but it's like, you'll, don't wait for it to become clear before you start talking about it. Because sometimes we can think, well, if it was all clear and I got it all sorted out in advance, then I'd be able to say it. But it's like, just know that as you started to explain it to somebody, it won't be you explaining it because it'll be Jesus speaking through you and the Holy Spirit coming through you. And you'll see the light come on in them, but that's because the light was transferred from you. It'll kind of click, 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 and that's how it'll go. Holy Spirit, you're here. Welcome you, Lord. I think I'm just hungry for more of you, Lord. We just tell him that. Just tell him we want the fire. We want, the, we want, we need you, Lord. We need the supernatural fire of God. We need the. We don't just want to do this in our own strength, Lord. We're plugging into you, into your power, into who you are, and it's not just a, a power and. A, 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 the electricity thing as I say breaks down because this is you in me this is God in me this is this is uh, my mind connecting with your mind my thoughts uh, and me having the mind of Christ me thinking differently me seeing differently hearing differently knowing differently spirit of wisdom and revelation Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation of power Feeling the 
the fire of God coming in and he's giving healing gifts he's putting healing in your hands he's putting his healing in your hands just uh, filling you up filling you up with his power he says when you go when my people go when they lay hands on the sick they'll recover so you don't just hold on to that and go oh, that's good there's going to be an opportunity for you to say to somebody well I was I was in this meeting and they were talking about praying for the sick and laying hands on them and he said all right if I just put my hand there and pray and just declare you don't need all the words it doesn't have to be you being clever enough just faithful people going hands on filled with the spirit hands on disciples of Jesus just trusting he'll do it Lord you'll do what I can't do you're going to flow through me more. I want you to flow through me more. Yes, Lord. Speak to him. Tell him you love him. Tell him you're grateful. Speak to him. Thank you, Jesus. Some people are speaking in tongues. You can hear like a language. Maybe you don't understand what it is. But God understands that. That's that personal language. There are times when people hear that and actually you find out that you were speaking in the language of some other dialect somewhere else in the world. You didn't even know that. But very often it's just God building you up on the inside to go make a difference on the outside. So it's a good thing to do. Just to be filled to overflow. To let it bubble up overflow Jesus said people who follow me they're going to have like streams of living water are going to bubble up from the inside of you it's going to be like that it's going to be something bubbling up from the inside so fill us be filled with the Holy Spirit be overflowing with the Holy Spirit be filled with the Spirit come and fill me Lord ask him we need you Jesus we don't want to do this on our own we can't do it replace the power of me with the power of you just replace my inability with all of your abilities replace my my good ideas with your wisdom replace my half-heartedness with your courage replace my doubting questioning double-mindedness with your singleness of purpose in Jesus name release Lord the church here in this place to be something incredible on the earth something astounding to the world Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.